in case of uh, mass casualty incidents, several hundreds and thousands of people um, are likely to be exposed to ionizing radiation. We have to increase the search capacity so that we can provide rapid biodosimetry to people who are exposed during this uh, mass casualty um, incidents, radiological or nuclear. Um, so keeping this in mind, uh, so we uh, initiated a game. Uh, it's called the Dicentric Chromosome Challenge Game. Till, uh, till to date, uh, the, the game has been played by more than 1,000 individuals uh, from so many uh, biodosimetry laboratories around the globe. I'm quite excited about this. And uh, this is one way of training people how to score dicentric chromosomes. It's a game. So people will be um, you know, interested to try out. And we also give a score. So people are always uh, trying to play and improve their uh, scoring. This is the ORISE Feature Cast, a special edition of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, for conversations with ORISE research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE FeatureCast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORU podcast. I'm Michael Holtz with my co-host as ever, Jenna Harpernow. Jenna, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's a new year. It's 2021, you know, high expectations. It's, yeah, very. I, although, I don't know. Maybe we should have some low expectations and just let 2021 exceed our expectations. <laughs> you might be right. I saw a meme on social media that was like, we're all going to walk in really quietly and we're not going to touch anything. Yep. I feel the same way. <laughs> so maybe that's what we should do. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited today. We have um, Dr. Balaji um, with us today to talk about his latest research. And this is a project that was funded by um, ODRD or ORU Directed Research and Development Funding. Um, and it's related to DNA damage on 3D genome. <laughs> I'm just going to let him tell us because. <laughs> <laughs> They're always doing the coolest stuff over there. I know they really are. So, Dr. Balaji, welcome back. This is you've been here before, so welcome back to Further Together, the ORU podcast. I'm excited to be here, Michael and Jenna, and uh, thank you very much for having me here. Tell us um, a little bit I, about who you are. I've, I work as the technical director for the Cytogenetic Biodosimetry Laboratory. Um, so it's a part of uh, REACTS. Uh, we do radiation biodosimetry for um, exposed people. Um, so when we get the blood samples uh, from exposed people, so we do an assay known as dicentric chromosome assay, and then mm -hmm. we estimate the absorbed radiation dose. So this is what predominantly we do at the CBL. Um, besides, uh, we do a lot of uh, research projects to enhance the uh, biodosimetry capabilities um, of CVL. Uh, so in this context, uh, so we reach out to other uh, university partners um, to initiate and develop a lot of exciting research projects which would help us in the future. Okay. So, and you just had a 
um, manuscript published that you were co-author of um, in December called, um, in a publication called Nature Communications, and it's radiation-induced DNA damage and repair effects on 3D genome organization. Um, so basically, we're talking about radiation-induced damage to DNA. Um, talk about your research project. You know, how did this come to be? And uh, I guess all of the things, what, what you found, um, et cetera. With pleasure, Michael. Um, I'm going to tell you a short story, how all this collaboration started initially. Okay. So uh, I'm very glad that our fruitful collaboration with uh, UTK resulted in a very good uh, publication in the Nature Communications. Our collaboration started way back in uh, 2016 with the Wodiari um, uh, Pilot Award. Wodiari requests partnership with a member university and I was desperately looking for a partner. Uh, after several hours of browsing, I found Dr. Uh, Rachel McCard, uh, whose research on 3D genome organization appealed to me very much. Okay. Luckily for me, she was hired by UTK as an associate professor just a few months before I contacted her. So luckily for me, I found the partner and we started working on this 3D genome organization. Uh, before I go into uh, any details, I will tell you um, how complex our genome organization is. Okay. So each cell's nucleus contains a two meters long DNA, which has to be packaged in a space with six microns. Imagine uh, what kind of complexity we are dealing with. So we are really interested this uh, genome organization, how DNA is packaged and how it functions in different activities. So with the uh, novel technology, uh, such as chromosome confirmation capture technique, we actually analyzed the interacting regions, how the genome is organized into different domains, and what would be the interaction of these domains after ionizing radiation exposure. So this is what we did in this nature communications. So uh, our conclusion is that uh, the TAD organization, we call it topologically um, associating domains. So they change a little bit, uh, much more so in uh, DNA repair proficient cells compared to uh, DNA repair deficient cells. And uh, as you know, the dicentric chromosome assay, uh, which we use, reflects the exchange between two chromosomes after mm -hmm. DNA breaks. So we can also map that using this technology. And this 3D genome organization is very well conserved. Uh, what I mean by 3D genome organization is the packaging of this long DNA into very small and structural and functional units. So this organization seems to be um, disorganized or altered in many disease states like cancer. So cancer okay. cells have distorted uh, 3D genome organization. So uh, this kind of research has a lot of scope. Uh, you know, you can analyze this for different disease states and uh, how they are altered and how these alterations in structure um, leads to pathological conditions. So it is really exciting. It is uh, not only for uh, radiation, uh, but you can also use 
for a wide variety of applications, mm-hmm. basically human disease biology. That is really exciting. I know you focused on um, ionizing radiation exposure. For those of us who don't work in the radiation space on a daily basis, talk about what ionizing radiation exposure means. Um, So radiation that causes ionization, like X-rays or gamma rays. Uh, So when we are exposed or when cells are exposed, uh, so it ionizes a lot of molecules and atoms. Um, so during this ionization process, large amount of energy is deposited and uh, that can cause a lot of damage to the DNA. Um, basically, when you go for a dental x-ray or um, uh, any kind of medical diagnostic procedures, uh, <laughs> so it involves a little bit of ionizing radiation. So we are constantly exposed to ionizing radiation. Gotcha. And uh, we also get radiation from space. You know, we call it cosmic radiation, uh, which is quite harmful. Um, So, and also some of the fruits and vegetables we consume, they also contain uh, traces of uh, radioactivity. Uh, So we are continually exposed to radiation. Um, Probably most of them are very low doses. They do not... uh, cause any harm uh, to our bodies. But when the dose exceeds, then it's a problem uh, because it can break the DNA, which is the blueprint of life. Mm -hmm. So once the DNA is broken, most of the times it's uh, rejoined um, properly, but sometimes uh, they may misrejoin, giving out a lot of chromosomal aberrations like we see. The dicentric chromosome must say, uh, which we use at the CBL is actually uh, reflecting misrejoining of breaks in the DNA. Um, so we do have efficient repaired machinery, but sometimes when the damage exceeds the threshold, then we get into trouble. And uh, we always uh, score this chromosomal aberrations or DNA misrejoining as a surrogate for absorbed radiation gels. So you can actually estimate the dose based on the extent of damage. Okay. Which is obviously really important to... It's very, very important. Uh, There there are a lot of accidents uh, that keep happening with the diagnostic exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, So REACTS is actually um, supporting all this uh, 24-7 basis. So people have all kinds of questions about radiation exposure, and uh, some incidents uh, that might have happened to them. Um, you know, people go to dental x-ray or something like this, and then they say they have some adverse effects. And then, you know, people have all kinds of uh, concerns. Mm-hmm. And um, so from the internet, people read quite a lot about um, radiation accidents like Fukushima and Chernobyl and all the effects on um, organisms, not necessarily humans, but also you know, fish and uh, all kinds of mammals. So mm-hmm. they are really scared. So I can understand their concern, but uh, the diagnostic radiation is uh, pretty uh, harmless. Uh, so, but we need it for uh, diagnosis. So there is uh, no way to avoid radiation. So radiation has become part and parcel of our life. So when the dose exceeds, that's where the problems come. This was something you've been wanting to do for several years. And, you know, 
you said since like 2016, you were looking for a partner. Um, what is the, and you've touched on this a little bit, what is the value of ODRD to A, helping you find a partner, but then being able to conduct this kind of research? Uh, really good question, uh, Michael. Um, so I always uh, give tremendous uh, appreciation to ODRD funding mechanism um, because ODRDAU has more than 125 member universities um, and those universities have excellent um, researchers and faculty members and they do research on a wide variety of um, uh, aspects. So finding a partner may be difficult sometimes uh, because of the vast number of member universities, mm -hmm. but it is always very advantageous uh, to advance the science um, at WARIAU. Uh, we may not have all the facilities and resources to carry out research, but this um, collaboration um, through ODRD funding um, is really paving the way for increasing the collaboration. So it is really excellent. And I have been fortunate enough to get ODRD funding almost every year um, until uh, this year, because they suspended the funding um, right. because of COVID pandemic. Um, but all uh, these projects uh, which I got uh, through ODRD uh, have been tremendously useful. And some of the projects uh, we are, um, uh, some of the projects are still ongoing. Um, so for example, um, we submitted uh, two research proposals to um, Department of Defense, DOD, and one to NASA um, with the Ohio uh, State University. Uh, okay. So we are not only looking for cytogenetic markers, but we are also looking at molecular biomarkers that can predict radiation exposure. Um, as I mentioned this before, uh, dicentric chromosome assay is the gold standard, uh, no doubt, but it takes uh, quite a bit of time. So 72 hours, uh, sometimes four days uh, for <laughs> getting the results. So we are looking for an alternative. Uh, what if, uh, in case of uh, radiological emergencies, we have to provide rap rapid biodosimetry? So DCA is not the way because it is too uh, time consuming and uh, labor intensive. So we are looking for alternatives. So using molecular uh, markers such as microRNA, which is a small piece of RNA that, that changes in expression after radiation exposure. So you can use that as a surrogate for quickly telling people um, uh, to what dose they are exposed to, uh, you know? So we are actually looking for options. So for doing all this, uh, so ODRD has helped a lot. Uh, otherwise I would not have found all this interesting uh, partners uh, from member universities. So in short, uh, ODRD uh, has played a major role in my research uh, and also for ODAU. Right, absolutely. Um, and I know for this particular project, your collaborator was just up the road, as we say, in, at UT Oh, Boston. yes. So. Uh, yeah, Dr. Rachel McCord. Uh, so I was really happy to find her um, because she is very close. And, uh, you know, having your uh, collaborator in the same uh, city is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, you can exchange uh, ideas, you can uh, call on them if you have any queries or concerns. 
and the exchange of research materials like cell lines and other stuff. Uh, it worked great. I mean, uh, we continue to collaborate and uh, we have a lot of projects in mind uh, for the future. Um, so that is going to continue. Uh, so we are even um, planning to uh, submit an NIH proposal on this. Um, so NASA is also very much interested in understanding the chromatin structure and the disease outcome in astronauts, you know. Right. Uh, with the Mars missions around the corner, uh, they are very concerned about the cosmic radiation. Space radiation is uh, several fold uh, more harmful uh, than X-rays and gamma rays, which we use uh, for diagnosis. Uh, so they have really tremendous amount of energy and uh, basically they can drill a hole in your brain. You know, that kind of mm. powerful radiation um, is cosmic radiation. So. Um, so they are, they are always looking out for uh, preventive measures and also markers uh, to determine uh, the extent of radiation exposure. So this is going to be great. Dr. Balaji, you mentioned um, something a little bit earlier, you know, if there were some kind of a radiation event, you would um, be looking for kind of a group of people that would help you out and be able to um, quickly identify the markers if people have been exposed. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you um, help train people and kind of how you, you make that tribe of people that you trust to look at the tests and look at the markers and I guess how you prepare? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked uh, this question, Jenna. Uh, that is one of our main goal for the CBL. Um, in case of uh, mass casualty incidents, uh, several hundreds and thousands of people um, are likely to be exposed to ionizing radiation. And um, so knowing the exposure dose is very critical for taking the appropriate uh, medical countermeasures. Um, so in this regard, um, so we would like to uh, increase the search capacity of um, dicentric chromosome scores. Um, even though I talked about a lot of molecular markers for dosimetry, um, still uh, the dicentric chromosome assay is the gold standard. Um, so DCA is well uh, preferred over any of the biodosimetry technologies uh, existing now. Um, so um, we have to increase the search capacity so that we can provide uh, rapid biodosimetry to people who are exposed during this uh, mass casualty um, incidents, radiological or nuclear. Um, so keeping this in mind, uh, so we uh, initiated a game. Uh, it's called the Dicentric Chromosome Challenge Game. And uh, full credit goes to Don Hanlon and his team. Um, so they developed this game uh, with our assistance. And uh, this uh, project was funded by um, Warai's director's office uh, and my sincere thanks to them uh, for funding this exciting project. And we developed this game and the game was launched in um, July of this year. And we initially requested um, our participants of the ARC summer program, um, basically like six teachers uh, joined a CBL for training. So we requested them to try out the game. Um, so they were marvelous. Uh, they did a fabulous job and they even uh, presented a poster uh, based on their finding. And they also gave uh, tremendous inputs for improving the game. Um, so till, uh, till to date, uh, the, 
the game has been played by more than thousand individuals uh, from so many uh, biodesmetry laboratories around the globe. I'm quite excited about this. And uh, this is one way of training people how to score dicentric chromosomes. It's a game. So people will be um, you know, interested to try out. And we also give a score. So people are always uh, trying to play and improve their uh, scoring. You know? um, so what we have in mind, uh, those people who scored more than 90%, um, so we will recruit them in, an, in a kind of registry. So we will enroll them. And uh, whenever we need their help, so we can contact them. So we will just ask them to give their contact information, email address, and the institute address and all. So we can contact them when we need help uh, with uh, dicentric chromosome assay scoring. So this is the idea. I'm quite excited about this. In addition to this, we are also um, initiating a lot of avenues, um, you know, uh, networking. Uh, so, um, we are interested in uh, initiating a cytogenetic biodesmetry network in the US. Uh, so there are already um, four or five potential labs mm -hmm. and we have to uh, find a way to initiate this and then uh, do this on a regular basis. We have to do inter-laboratory comparison exercise and all. So those labs are ready um, when the situation demands. Uh, so that's the idea. That's great. I actually um, played the game, Dr. Balaji, <laughs> and um, I had to do it twice, but um, I did very well the second time. So, <laughs> yeah, add that, Michael to your list. <laughs> right? Yes. No, his name is already enrolled. Uh, so whoever plays, I think, but only the top scorers are enlisted in that. Um, there so, you go, Michael. It's a challenge for 2021. Exactly. And uh, I wish uh, more people uh, from ORUU um, try this game. Um, so, but we have got a really good response. And there are certain improvements to be made uh, to the game. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I'm looking out for funding um, to improve the game. Uh, so, really interested. There are some technical uh, problems and issues. And uh, Don uh, is really optimistic in improving this game, provided we have some funding from some other sources. Uh, but I am on that. And hopefully we'll get some funding uh, to make this game a perfect one. So many people can try and learn dicentric chromosome scoring. And um, that will work to our advantage in the future, I believe. Right, I, that's exciting. I the one thing that I learned <laughs> playing the game is not to overthink it. <laughs> Truly. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think here's what a dicentric chromosome looks like. Here's what you're <laughs> looking for. You know? No, yeah, that's, but we selected, uh, you know, almost very good pictures. And yes. but in reality, uh, you know, chromosome preps uh, are not always the same uh, from different <laughs> people. Uh, you know, after all, we use the, white uh, blood cells, lymphocytes, and uh, we get very good chromosome preps from some people, but I cannot say the same for other people uh, <laughs> because we have intrinsic uh, variations. Uh, sure. Some people's blood cells grow much better in culture than others uh, due to various reasons. Uh, but we put the best ones, uh, so we don't want to scare away people. So <laughs> they have to see good pictures first, and then gradually we will improve the complexity. 
so that's the idea. Right. So we have different levels, you know, low, medium, and high levels. My challenge is to get to the high level. <laughs> <laughs> so high levels, I think what we are planning is, uh, so you will see chromosomes all over the place, overlapping with each other. And, uh, you know, it gives you a impression that it is a dicentric or tricentric chromosome, but it is not it's because not. it's simply overlapping with each other. Right. Um, so, yeah, gradually building up the level so that they know exactly because not every time you are going to get the perfect prep for dicentric. Sure, sure. Dr. Balaji, is there anything you want to add that we haven't talked about? Uh, I pretty much summed up everything, but uh, there are a few um, projects uh, that are ongoing now. Okay. Um, so one is the uh, lipidomic profiling, uh, basically lipids in our body. So um, that is a field known as metabolomics. Um, so there is a recent paper on metabolomics after ionizing radiation exposure. So when we are exposed to radiation, there are a lot of changes in our lipid profiles. You know, when you go for your blood test, so they do the lipid profile. Uh, you are aware of this. You know, saturated fatty acids, non-saturated mm -hmm. fatty acids, cholesterol, LDL, HDL, you know. Um, yep. So the lipid profiles, they change after radiation exposure. And uh, we have a way of detecting them, the radiation exposure. So this project we initiated with the uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, um, Dr. Uh, John Cahill, um, he's uh, collaborating with us. And uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, they developed a device known as PenDoc. Uh, so you have to just touch the sensor and it will give you the lipid profile. Uh, so we are actually developing a lot of uh, signatures, lipid signatures uh, for identifying uh, the exposed people. And uh, so if we have some lipid markers, so you can quickly tell who is exposed to radiation, who is not. So I'm quite excited about this project. Uh, so we have even written a white paper and we plan to submit to all the funding agencies, you know, like NASA, DOD, DOE, and mm -hmm. BARDA, and DARPA, to name a few. So I'm quite excited. So with funding, uh, so we'll be able to accomplish uh, some of the lipid um, signatures uh, for um, ionizing radiation exposure. And the cool thing about this is it doesn't take too much time because we have a PENDOC device. All you have to do is uh, touch the sensor and it'll give you the lipid profile, you know, probably That's a fraction of a second. Uh, so you get your lipid profiles. Wow. Um, you don't have to get a needle stick. You don't have to get a... Oh, no, no, nothing. I mean, this is like a, like a pen, like a pen. Yeah. It's like a pen. You, you just uh, touch the tip of the pen. That's all. No, no, there is no uh, oh needle, nothing. That's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, we are also um, trying to use this technology uh, for um, finding out people who are um, intrinsically radiation sensitive. You know, we have a radio-sensitive population. Of course, the number varies anyway from 5 to 10% of the human population. And they are radiation-sensitive. So you have to be really careful. So if such people develop cancer, then you have to modulate the dose. So you cannot use the regular dose which you use for um, normal people. So these people are 
radiation sensitive. So you have to adjust the radiation therapy. Um, so for the screening, I think this PENDOC would be very useful. You know, they don't need to go through uh, laborious uh, procedures, mm -hmm. um, but just to touch uh, the PENDOC and then you get the signature. Um, so probably I'm over exaggerating a little bit, but I think this is a potential possibility for the future. Uh, so once we have radiation specific lipids that change after exposure, we can use them as a surrogate uh, for biodosimetry. So that's an idea. That's exciting. Yeah. And uh, last but not the least, um, so I'm collaborating with the Columbia University Medical Center. And everybody is talking about COVID-19, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so what are the damages caused by this virus to our body? And uh, we are planning to submit a proposal, which is not completely finalized uh, for ODRD. So we plan to examine the residual damage uh, on those people who got infected with uh, COVID-19. Uh, they might have recovered now, and, uh, but we don't know what kind of damage um, was caused to their uh, blood cells, white blood mm -hmm. cells. And if such patients are also radiation sensitive, something changed in them that make them more radiation sensitive or not. So mm -hmm. we are planning to submit this proposal so we can use the standard technologies for screening these COVID-19 patients uh, to find out whether anything changed after this infection. Um, so I'm quite excited about this. That is exciting and certainly would be Yeah, because most of the viruses, uh, yeah. they cause DNA damage and chromosomal damage. Um, so we don't know anything about this. Uh, so we thought uh, it's uh, better to investigate uh, those people who got infected uh, with COVID-19 to see they have any residual damage left behind. So if it is promising, then we will um, expand this study. So mm -hmm. for now, it's, it's quite exciting. You are always doing some of the coolest research, Dr. Baldwin. <laughs> no, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jenna. Uh, so this kind of encouraging words actually motivate me. So I need this. I, I need boosting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're over here. If, if nobody, nobody cares, and then, you know, you think, oh, probably I'm not doing anything interesting. I'm not going to attract people's <laughs> attention. So when people tell all these good things, so that really motivate me and inspire me to do more. So that is really important. And uh, yeah. so you have to be uh, really generous to appreciate someone. You know, you have to have a big heart. Uh, so to appreciate someone. So I really, really appreciate it with gesture because uh, <laughs> it needs a uh, little bit more to come out and appreciate someone. So I know how valuable it is. Well, we learn something every time we talk to you. So you were helping us. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, there are so many things to tell. And uh, sometimes when you talk, it doesn't come to your mind. And then probably when they get off, Oh, I should have mentioned this. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> and well, uh, before we I, can before always I close, have you back. Uh, yeah, before I close, I would like to uh, thank uh, definitely uh, Dr. Edins, uh, React Director, and the entire team. And they have been a tremendous support to me, uh, whatever research avenues I undertake. 
And uh, so I really, really should mention this. So any, every one of them is so helpful to me. Um, you know, that's what, uh, you know, actually make me going further and further with research. Uh, so I would not have uh, done all this without their help. So, sure, absolutely. And I also thank WarUU and uh, all the people I interact with. Um, so like I mentioned many times before, uh, WarDRD has done a phenomenal thing to me personally and scientifically. Um, without their funding, I would not have ventured into many of these exciting uh, possibilities. Uh, so again, um, thanks to the WarDRD team uh, for uh, funding all my research so far. Well, we look forward to having you back to talk about more research. Um, Absolutely, Michael. Funded by ODRD or others. So, absolutely, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be glad to, to come on and uh, share my uh, latest things on research. Awesome. And I can also tell you how successful I am, <laughs> <laughs> or how unsuccessful I am. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything works in science. Uh, sometimes you have to work hard, and uh, but that's part of the process, right? I mean, yes, that is part of the process, and uh, that is the that is the process of evolution. You know, when you do something wrong, and then you you learn your mistake, and then rectify them and move on. Um, so, if you think a particular project is really worth doing, uh, so you don't really bother about the setbacks, but you find a way. Uh, to proceed with that because the overall goal is really worth pursuing. So, no, that's very important. Absolutely. Dr. Balaji, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Oh, I, I'm happy to do this. And uh, thanks to uh, you and Jenna uh, for having me on this podcast. I really enjoyed it very much. Well, we will have you back soon. Thank you. Yep. So much. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise Feature Cast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at O-Rise Connect.